Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Tonight's message is titled Maximum Freedom. But before I get started, I want to open with a few Farone house rules. These are actual rules in the house of Farone. You see, we have the mother and father, the king and queen of our home, and we have these these citizens that are just vaguely aware that there is authority there. And because of such, we have to surround them with rules. These are actual Farone house rules. Number one, never put Mr. Potato Head's eyes up your nose. That's right. That's an actual world. All right, number two, no chewing on electrical outlets. Actually saw my son several months ago chewing on the electrical outlet. French kissing electricity is never a good idea, so it's a rule in our house. Number three, don't feed the dog rocks. That is a, a regular rule that we have to remind him constantly. And just as a bonus, the dog is not a tunnel because our son is constantly trying to drive trucks underneath her, climb underneath her. The dog is not a tunnel. Authority is a funny thing. Usually there's a purpose and a heart behind it. Sometimes they're not. But we're going to talk about God's authority tonight. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Let every person, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. Rome is not a good place to live if you're a Christian right now. They do not have an emperor that thinks highly of of people that follow Jesus. And yet, Paul writes this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. What? What? Paul, what are you doing? What? Mm, Paul. Mm-mm. Do you know who we've been voting into office lately, Paul? Whether you're for the recent term or the present term, you're probably not happy. Paul, what are you doing? How can we honor authorities that maybe even aren't godly? Maybe they're bad, downright awful. Paul, hello. Hello. I don't think you're living in the same world I'm living in. And yet Paul has the audacity to suggest that God puts authorities, good, bad, or ugly, or those who know how to fiddle, into authority. Did that make sense? Yes, it's fine. And then suggests that God not only put them there, but he expects us to honor them because dishonoring them is actually dishonoring God. Ouch, right? That's a little uncomfortable. Growing up, we have this this fantasy that if only we can move out of the house, if only we can finally graduate from school, then we'll finally have freedom. If only, if only, I won't have curfews and someone always looking over my shoulder and then there's not the grades and I don't have two and a half minutes to get to the bathroom and then to my locker and then the next class where I'm tardy and they strike my grade and it's awful. 
If only I can make it through, then I'm finally going to have the all-elusive, ever-truly-imaginary freedom. We have this idea that rules function in this way. We run rules through filters, and the filters are kind of like, well, is the rule fair? Does it make sense? Does it interfere with what, what I want? What if the rule maker, I don't really respect them? Now, if it doesn't live up to any of these things, then it actually gives me permission to bend them, break them. Well, it's just, hmm. this speed limit doesn't make sense for this road. The teacher just doesn't understand me. They don't like me. Mom just doesn't get me. And as long as it doesn't fit our filter, then it gives us validity to break the rules. When in fact, that fantasy of finally being able to break away absolutely does not live up to real standards. Because if you're at home and you disobey, you get grounded. If you're at school and you disobey, maybe you get detention. In the real world, if you disobey, you get fired. Then there's no money, there's no bills, life's hard. In the real world, if you disobey, you go to jail. It's not that we have less freedom when we finally move out. It's actually, no, it's not that we have more freedom when we move out. We actually have even more authorities with more rules, except the stakes are now even higher. I live for the day that I could move back in with my parents and go, my shoes are worn out, mom, I need shoes. Wouldn't that be great? I live for the day that I could just be like, What's my curfew tonight, Dad? Because he's going to help me with gas money. It's amazing how our expectations are so shallow and honestly untrue to real reality. The more that we break rules and break boundaries and rebel against authorities, we actually take away our own freedoms. Let's think about this logically. Hypothetically, let's say, let's say a husband cheats on a wife. He is looking for more Freedom, right? He wants to do what he wants to do. He pushes, bends, breaks the rules so that he can have more freedom. But then what happens? All of a sudden, now his wife doesn't trust him anymore. She's always looking over his shoulder. Who's that calling you? Where are you going? Maybe it wrecks their marriage. And he has to worry about fighting for his kids. He gets less time with his kids. Maybe now he's paying alimony. Maybe now he's paying child support. His world is closing in more and more and more. He loses his relationship with his wife. He loses his marriage. He loses the respect of her family and many of his friends. Now, because of seeking freedom or rebelling against authority, he's now closed himself in with far less freedom than he had before. Let's take this now to a much more realistic concept. A friend of mine who lived in Destin, his name was Ryan, absolutely brilliant computer programmer. He is actually hired by the government and banks to hack their systems so that they can find the weak points in their systems. Can you imagine the background checks that went in on him before he got that job? Can you imagine the security clearance that he has to have to have the talent to hack the government and banks? And there was one time that he told me, you know what, if I would have ever smoked pot in high school, and got caught just one time, I never would have been able to have the job that I have. Reaching for freedoms and rebelling against 
authority actually closes down our opportunities and restrains us from freedom. To get actually really serious, there was a girl that I knew in high school named Ainsley. And one night she wanted to push the boundaries against her parents and school and everything. And so she went out drinking in a car full of friends. They were doing 90 down the road, got in a car wreck, and everybody died but her. Her world closed in dramatically. Real life, real story. Absolutely devastated her life as the lone survivor of trying to rebel. The unavoidable consequence of rebellion is actually less freedom. A kid that grows up resisting authority, resisting authority, resisting authority just ends up in prison with no freedom. It's just the reality that we live in. There's a song from the 80s by the great philosopher John Cougar Mellencamp. I fight authority, authority always wins. It's so true. But what does this have to do with God? What does it have to do with our spiritual walk? You see, so many of us actually see God in this messed up, skewed lighting. We just see God as the no-sayer. And his Bible is just pages and pages of don'ts and don't have fun and whatever. And so we're going to live our life. We're going to experience good things. And we're going to have to rebel. That's the only outcome there is. But in fact, in our weary search for freedom, the truth is that maximum freedom comes with submitting to the authority of God. It's within God's presence, it's within honoring God and the authorities that he sets up that we actually find the most freedom, the greatest flexibility, the least stress and guilt and restrictions. Let's think about God's character for a minute. Because how we view God as an authority is going to directly affect how we respect the authorities around us. But see, God really isn't into rules a lot. They're not really what he's going for. Uh, For example, think about Adam and Eve. I love talking about Adam and Eve. They had it made. They were set up in God's ideal position. Everything was golden. God told them, go out, explore nature, and make babies. And he even set them up for it by making them naked. They were golden. They only had how many rules? One rule. God's ideal setup It only included one single rule. Don't eat from that tree, but everything else, go for it. Freedom. And then somebody planted a little seed of saying, you know what? You think you're free, but you're not as free as you could be. What if you pushed it just a little bit to see if you can get just a little more freedom out of God? You know what happened? Fast forward in time, and God has created a nation, the nation of Israel. He circles them around the mountain. He gives Moses instructions, and he sets them up with not one rule. He sets them up with 613 rules. Exodus, Leviticus, 613 rules the Jewish nation were to live by. But if that sounds like a lot of rules, you have to understand that in your nation right now, there are 4,450 crimes that you can commit. Every crime is circled by a myriad of laws. They have no idea how many laws are in the United States. They think it's up, upwards towards 50,000 laws that we have to honor in the United States. 50,000. And what did Jesus do? 
Jesus walks on the earth and he takes all those 613 and he packs them all down and delivers two. Y'all remember what they are? Love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor like yourself. Because under these is the rest of the law. God is not all about rules. That is not his thing. I like to compare it to a child, like my three-year-old. As my three-year-old grows in towards teenage years, he's going to become inundated with rules. Everything is going to have a rule around it. There's no way around it. Now, if you rewind two years ago, there weren't a lot of rules. There was don't chew the electrical outlet and don't harass the dog. And then fast forward now, rules are just getting packed on him. Rules, rules, and rules, and rules, and rules. And he has to live by them, and he has to deal with it, and he gets punished, and he breaks the rules. But then, as he becomes a mature teenager, as he's starting to be poised towards the real world, a lot of those rules are going to begin melting away. Why? Because it doesn't matter that he has a rule, don't chew on the electrical outlet. He's going to understand in his mind that this is bad for him, and it won't have to be a rule anymore. He'll begin maturing and not having to see the rule for what it is. He'll see the spirit of the law, and a lot of those rules will get stripped away because he'll have the maturity to understand how to operate and function without electrocuting himself with his tongue. And so that's what Jesus did. As Jesus steps onto the scene, he sees a church that's coming into maturity that don't need 613 rules anymore. They need two. And so my challenge is let us step into maturity and let us step into an understanding of authority where we don't need tons and tons of rules because we're willing to honor authority and respect the God that put authority over us where we'll just love God and love people. Now, God isn't all about rules, but he is all about authority. He sets it up in our lives on purpose. I love that Jesus tells a story it's not even really a story. It's more just like an illustration. He says, you know what? If you go to your dad and you're like, hey, dad, can I have some bread to eat? Your dad's not going to give you a rock. And you're like, hey, dad, I would really be digging a fish right now. Your dad's not going to give you a snake. <laughs> but if our fathers who are flawed know how to give good gifts, how much more a heavenly father? God's not in to rules. He's into authority. And you can see this because he begins our lives with authority. He gives us at the beginning, for better or worse, good or bad, he gives us parents. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is reflecting on the Ten Commandments, and he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. And then Paul actually throws in a commentary. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And here's the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So God even compacts, if you're willing to start off honoring, for better or worse, your parents as a child, God's going to work something in you that you're going to begin to prosper. You're going to begin steps towards maturity that you wouldn't if you're just living through rebellion. And then as we grow in maturity, we grow into another level. First Peter, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. As in, don't let anybody, no one can come against you and bring accusation against you. They had so much trouble with Jesus because Jesus honored Caesar and Jesus honored the authorities in place. So they couldn't come and accuse them of anything. If we'll live with our nose clean, if we'll live like Ryan, 
who made good decisions through his high school career, then people can't come and say, well, look at them. They're looking at acting all out of place. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. You can go to the next one. <laughs> honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It was not a good emperor at the time. And yet, Paul and Peter saw this authority in their lives as God ordained. Here's some other biblical examples. Remember Joseph? Joseph was put under Potiphar. Not exactly a great guy, but decent enough. But then he was put down in the dungeon. He was put under the, the dungeon keeper and then under Pharaoh. Joseph always played number two. Why? I mean, here, let's start with this. He always escalated in authority. Why? Because he was willing to be number two. We can't have authority unless we're willing to be under authority. And Joseph honored God over and over and over again. And God always maneuvered him into places of honor. I love this story of David. It's not going to be up there. Y'all remember David and Saul? I'm going to refer to Saul again here in a minute. Saul got so angry with David because David was mopping up all of the praise after killing Goliath. And then he goes out and leads these army campaigns and wins even more favor. And Saul got so upset with him that he turned on David and began hunting him. And David and a few of his faithful men went hiding in the caves in the wilderness. Do y'all know what story I'm talking about? Not, I mean, if you're like, yes, I'm tracking. So David's hiding in a cave. Him and his men are way in the back in the dark. And Saul pulls over his chariot or army or whatever it is. And he has to, and I'm not kidding on this, he has to go to the bathroom. And so he's like, hey, cave, awesome. Porta potty's written on the outside or something. And he goes up, he goes in the cave. And while he's in the cave taking care of business, David's men go, here's your chance. That promise that God gave you that you would be king, take it. Kill him right here, right now. Let it be done with. And then he won't hunt you anymore. Your life won't be at stake. You won't have sleepless nights sleeping in caves. Get it done. And instead, David snuck up behind him. I don't know, maybe Saul laid his robe over there. Maybe it's still on him and he's like awkwardly cutting while Saul's squatting. I don't know. But he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And as Saul is making the walk back to his men, David comes running up behind him. And that's what we're going to pick up. This is 1 Samuel 24, verse 8. David also arose afterwards, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. I don't miss this. David didn't spare Saul's life because of who Saul was. He didn't spare Saul's life because he respected Saul, and he respected Saul's rules, or because Saul's intent was noble or something. He respected Saul because Saul was ordained as the man of authority in David's life. And don't miss this second half. David spared his life because he wanted to honor God because of his relationship with God was more important to him than living safely. Did you follow that? 
David was so concerned with being in right standing with God that he was willing to allow himself to continue to be hunted. That is critical because David was more concerned with relationship than he was with his own safety in his own life. And that moves me into an incredible point that honoring authority in our lives, meaning honoring God in our lives, opens the door to intimacy in relationship with God. The prime example of this is Jesus. Jesus was under his father's authority. Jesus, God, steps down out of heaven and Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself of his heavenly privileges to become a servant of the Father. Jesus himself says, I don't do anything unless my Father is doing it. I don't say anything unless he says it. He emptied himself to become a servant, a servant to just God, no, a servant to you and me, all the way to the cross. Do we deserve Jesus' submission? Did the disciples deserve Jesus kneeling at their feet, washing their feet? Absolutely not. And yet Jesus submitted himself to make himself a servant. I know this is hard. I know it's backwards and it's to flip upside down from our paradigm and every exciting movie that we love to watch. But the reality is that God set up authority in our lives. And by honoring those authorities, we honor God. And by rebelling against those authorities, we rebel against God. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. God isn't into rules. He's into relationship. It's not about three, 613 rules. It's not about 50,000 rules. God set up principles, love God, love people, so that we can have relationship with him. All right, I need a few volunteers. I need three. I need someone to represent God. It's okay. Don't, don't feel too humble. Wow, you guys are not humble. All right. Come on. Yes, Deegan, get up here. I need two more. Hmm. I love you, Seth. No. Lizzie, come on up. And, oh, man, my junior high guys. I love you guys, too. Wait, is that Sarah or Christy? Sarah. Yes, Sarah, come on up. Don't worry, I won't have you up here for long. I won't do anything embarrassing to you. You're awesome. You're awesome. You're exactly what you are. Love you. All right. Lizzie, I would like you to represent God. All right, so just glow. Perfect. All right, Deegan, come over here. All right, I want you to put your hands on your hips. I want you to look authoritative. I can't spell authoritative. Can you spell authoritative? Nope. Yeah, me neither. Okay. All right, Sarah over here. I think this is Sarah's first time. Is this your first time? Second time? Yeah, it's okay. Now let's say God has established an authority in Sarah's life. Maybe he's the popos, so I don't know. Perfect. Now, let's say that Sarah is like, uh-uh, I ain't got no time for that. I don't agree with the rules. I don't agree with them. 
maybe it's a teacher, a parent, whatever, and she turns her back, just face that way, she turns her back on the authority God has set up in her life. There you go. Just face the, perfect. Thank you, Sarah. Do y'all realize that there's not only a division here, there's also a division here. Do y'all do see this? She's not only turning her back on the authority in her life, she's actually turning her back on the one who set up the authority. And so a relationship is not just broken with Diegmeister. It's also broken with God who saw in his sovereignty that this was on purpose and set this up. Thank you, guys. Y'all give him a big hand, especially Sarah. God bless her. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Don't try this with your parents. Rebellion destroys relationship. This can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a friendship. It can happen... It can happen with anybody with influence in your life. If you rebel or turn on them, it destroys friendship. That's like, that's like common sense, right? If Romans is so clear to say, God set this up on purpose for us, good, bad, or ugly. Now, I do want to like throw in an addendum. Where is the line when it's time to stand for God over authority? And it needs to be a clear line for you. It's not going to be something that happens often in your life, but if your authority is asking you to do something against what you know is right, then it's time to, you can, and you can handle it with maturity and grace, say, I'm sorry, but this isn't me, and I can't do this. That's better than being rebellious about it and saying, nope, stiff arm, don't like you no mo." <laughs> Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. They were in a position that was impossible. And they had an authority figure that was like, you're going to do this thing, you're going to bow to this idol, or you're going to burn. And it, was, it became a point in their lives that they had to choose. Do we honor God through honor and authority, or do we honor God through standing for truth? Daniel had to make the same decision. And so there may be times in your life when you were asked by an authority to do something you know is wrong. I have a friend, and her mother would often take her to the grocery store and ask her to go into the grocery store to steal. It was hard having a conversation like, you're going to have to stand up for yourself one day. That's a real thing, and it may happen in your life. Nine times out of ten, God is asking you to honor your authority, and by honoring them, you are honoring God. So your question is, how do I honor God best in this situation? Do I honor them by bucking the system and doing what I want to do, or do I honor them by saying yes. And this doesn't mean that we're doormats. It does mean that we're humble. It doesn't mean that we're weak. It means that we stand by principles. The cost of rebellion is slavery to sin. Slavery, have you, have you all ever, you don't have to raise your hand, have you ever lied and got yourself stuck in something because once you told a lie, you had to tell another one? To, to kind of back up the first one and then you kind of tell, tell another one and then another one and soon you're like left is right and right's left and you're just caught in a whole world of like not even being you. That never happens. No, we're church kids. Mm -mm. We love Jesus. But it's real. Rebellion makes us a slave to our sin. When we start coveting something after 
coveting something that somebody has, then we start getting greedy to have the thing that they want, and we start becoming a slave to greed. When we start lusting, we start having to pursue that lust, and we become a slave to the very thing. That's the sin. And the wages of sin is death. I mentioned it last week. Bonhoeffer said, if someone tells me they have lost their faith, I tell them they've stopped being obedient. Because faith and obedient, faith and obedience are tied together. Is there an area in your life that you're not having a breakthrough? The sin that you can't shed? Is there some place that you just know this is blocking your reception to hearing God? Is there some place that you know that you're not submitting to authority or submitting to God? Because that's a great place to start. Because if we're willing to stop rebelling and say, suck up our pride, and yes, ma'am, sir, etc., then we're actually returning back to the alignment of facing the God who put them in authority. And ultimately, we can remove them from the picture and just say that we're actually submitting to our ultimate authority. David was not necessarily submitting to Saul. He was submitting to God. There's another story about Saul later after this happened. Saul was supposed to go up on a mountain and give sacrifices to God. And it is set up in the Bible that the prophet in the land at the time would come and give sacrifices. But the prophet, who was Samuel, who wrote the book, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Samuel was late. I don't know why he was late. He was late. Maybe the, the I don't know. Fill in the blank. The horse ran out of gas. And Samuel was late. And so Saul with Samuel being late, decided to take matters into his own hands, to not honor the authority of the prophet to do the sacrifice. And so Saul does this whole thing. He burns the sacrifice and everything. And when Samuel showed up, Samuel was ticked. But not only was he angry, he was angry with a message from God. And God was so clear. He said, Saul, I'm taking the kingdom from you. And I'm going to give it to somebody else, meaning David. Because Saul didn't understand authority. It wasn't about authority to Samuel. It was about authority to God of Samuel. Does that make sense? We can remove the middleman. Sometimes you're like, my mom is so wrong. Remove mom from the picture and look to who is calling you to be obedient. Sometimes your teachers are annoying and they just don't like you. Remove your teacher from the equation and realize who's on the other side, who's calling you to be obedient. I know it's uncomfortable and awkward and strange, but God has set this up on purpose because if we will face him, then we can have a much more real, strong relationship with him. We're no longer rebelling against him. We're now moving towards him. Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I'm asking you to do. God is all about this authority thing. That's why he sets himself up as Father God, not best buddy God, Father God, because there is an authority that he requires from us that builds that relationship because, you know what? If my son was up on a jungle gym, all I have to say is jump. And he wouldn't think twice because he knows I'm going to catch him or I'm going to get hurt trying. But one way or the other, he's coming down safe. How can we say, God, I trust you, if we won't say, God, I'll obey you? 
God calls us to be obedient because every time we're obedient, whether it's a big thing or it's a small thing, it's saying, God, I trust you. And you put this teacher here in my life. I don't know why, but God, I trust you. You put this parent here in my life, and I don't know why, but I trust you. I don't know why the stupid swirly lights are in my rearview mirror, but I trust you. We serve a God that is looking for a relationship between a father and a daughter and a father and a son. But as long as we're saying, I'm sorry, I've got life on my own, then we're going to miss that relationship that he's calling us to. Trust is the foundation of any relationship. And that is what God is calling us to. You know what? I'm a flawed person and I'm probably a flawed father. But my rule about not chewing on the power outlet is going to stand. And it's going to continue to stand until my son is mature enough to understand why his dad is protecting him. So that he can understand the spiritual maturity of honoring his heavenly father that is only out to protect him in his best interest. Heavenly Father, maybe the word surrender means something new tonight. But when we call you Lord, we're calling you Master, and we surrender our wills to you. With the flinch factor and the grunt and the grind and everything that comes with it, I pray, Lord, that if this isn't where we are at the moment, that it'll be the direction we'll set our compass towards, that we'll begin moving towards honoring our ultimate authority and doing that through honoring the authorities that you set up in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, when our rebellious heart is so much louder in our head than our spirits. Lord, I pray that much like last week's message, that relationship with you will be more important than head knowledge. That knowing you personally, intimately, will become the cry of our souls. And Lord, you promise that if we'll seek you, we'll find you. If we'll draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And so Lord, I pray that as students in this room tonight are making small choices, small covenants with themselves, that they're going to start saying yes. And they're going to start being obedient when no one is looking. They're going to start walking in integrity. I pray, Lord, that you are poised and ready to meet them in their surrender, to wrap your arms around them, and to form an even clearer, more personal relationship than ever before. Break down our walls, Lord, walls that we've been building for a long time, walls of selfishness and rebellion. Help us to stand for truth. And when the day comes that our authorities tell us to do something that you have spoken is wrong, I pray that you'll give every man and woman in this room the courage to stand up for what's right. When everyone else bows, to stand, but to stand for the love of you and to stand for the love of others, not for the love of themselves. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a kick in the right direction. Let it plant seeds in all of our hearts. Lord, that we respect, not because we necessarily respect the people, but we respect you. And so we honor them the way we honor you. 
And so, Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.